This episode is brought to you by Serve HQ. Train your ministry volunteers, leaders, and new members online, fast, and easy with Serve HQ. Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to episode 227 with Clint Dupin as our guest today. I'm your host, Rusty George. You may not know who Clint Dupin is, but I'm telling you, you won't forget him. He's incredible. He's an amazing communicator and leader. He led a church uh, plant during the COVID season and led it to uh, greater heights and through difficult seasons and really gets real and vulnerable about the difficulties he faced. He and his wife lived in Detroit and worked at a large church there and did great ministry there and then made them move out to the Bay Area to plant a church. They did so right before COVID and then they got to walk through all of COVID and now they find themselves on the other side of it. A little bit wiser, a little bit grayer, but a lot of wisdom that can help church planters today. So as some of you know, we are on a mission here at Real Life to plant 30 churches by the year 2030. You can participate in that by being a part of Real Life Church or go into our app and click give because we are raising money for that right now and you can be a part of that. So Clint is going to help us out and tell us so much we need to know about church planning. Even if you're not a church planter or a pastor, you're just going to love this guy. He's really funny. He's a lot of fun and he's very real. So here we go. My conversation with church planner extraordinaire, Clint Dupin. Clint Dupin, welcome. So glad to have you on Leading Simple. Tell our audience who you are. Oh man, well that's uh, that's kind of a tough one. Well, I I'm a uh, a co lead pastor at a church in the Bay Area, in the East Bay. I have uh, happily married. I have four children from the ages of uh, this is going to sound really funny twenty seven down to nine. Mm. So uh, quite a quite a gap, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of who I am in a nutshell. And you're from Michigan, correct? Yeah, I would say I'm from Michigan, but born, raised, grew up in the South, grew up in North Carolina, UNC, Rusty, Tar Heel, fan. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So, grew up in North Carolina, end up in Michigan. Were your parents in ministry? Yeah, my grandfather was an evangelist, so he would travel the country, the world. My dad was his director, and so my dad would leave on Monday mornings, come back on Fridays. He's gone 280 days out of the year, hmm. and he would uh, fly into these cities, network with all these churches, um, preparing the way kind of for my grandfather to come in and do his you know, five-day crusade, which they should probably consider changing that name, the crusade name, or taking that part off. But anyways, <laughs> he came home when he came home. I remember this. I was in the eighth grade and I remember him sitting us down and just talking about this idea of starting a church. And the reason came out years later. The reason was um, all of these people would find Jesus at these these uh, huge evangelistic meetings that my grandfather would do, right? Gatherings. And then uh, he would try to connect them and plug them into churches. And it just wasn't happening hmm. uh, for people that were far from Christ. were just not connecting into the churches when they would do this research and follow up. 
So he came home and was like, I want to start a church that connects with these people. So he got really acquainted with Willow Creek in 1988, 1989, hmm. and Saddleback. And that was a huge influence. So it uh, comes home, we're in North Carolina, all our family, all of our friends, and says, we're going to move to Michigan. I'm like, I didn't even know where Michigan was. I didn't know if it was by Greenland or Iceland. I didn't know. And so we're going to move there. And that was like the only church. The reason that we did that, it was Kentwood Community Church. Wayne Schmidt had a heart for church planting. And so they were going to give my dad six weeks in their church, (laughs) six weeks uh, to recruit anybody they wanted and $30,000 for his budget and salary. And that's what we did. This is in 1988, 89? 89. Oh, 89. Wow. Goodness. How old were you when that happened? 14. Okay. So that great was time the, to move. Yeah, it's a great. <laughs> I mean, everything, you're at your peak in middle school. Like, my head was the size of a watermelon, and my body was the size of a pencil. So any strong wind, I was blowing over. Like, it was just not... People called me Charlie Brown, Rusty, because my head was so big. So, yeah, I thank my parents for that. Lots of therapy, uh, different things, you know. So here you have this legendary grandfather, a pastor for a father. Ministry is in your family. A lot of kids run the opposite direction, but now you're in ministry. Was it a straight line for you or... Was it a God bless the broken road that led me straight to church planning? <laughs> Is that a country song? It ought if to be. It's not. It ought to be. By the way, I told you last week you're a doppelganger. I mean, it's dead on. You could be an actor, country music singer. You've got it all. The look, the tone. Anyways, yeah, it was God bless the broken road. Like, I, I really got into some trouble in high school. Um my dad, you know, like I told you before, he was gone quite a bit, um, you know, working for my grandfather, but then planting a church, he didn't have the resources that we have today. And so I, I really, I felt like my dad was pretty absent um, because of trying to get the church up. My mother, the same. Hmm. So my identity was all over the place. Um, I didn't really like the church. Um, went to school to play soccer at a little university in Indiana. And didn't really claim a major until hmm. I always joke around one of my junior years. I don't remember which junior year it was, <laughs> um, but I started realizing there it was, I was 21 and I started realizing there it's like, okay, God's, God's given me a gift, you know, and that could be used in ministry. I just didn't know how it would be used. And then there were certain people and certain experiences that were very instrumental uh, in my life at that time Hmm. that showed me like it could be done different. It doesn't need to be the way that you've seen it done. Mm. Okay. So what was that way? What did you think? How could I do this differently? Um, I, I've always loved humor. I've always loved, um, I, I, I believe like I've just, I've, I've come to the place where like, Hey, God, God's given me a different outlook, how I see things, how I think about things. Um, and I, I didn't really think that humor and um, fun and how 
my approach to life could be used in ministry. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple things that were strategic. Defining person was probably Larry Mitchell was a professor uh, who came alongside of me in our religion department, which I did not like at all. Um, but he was one of those guys that showed me, took me kind of under his wing and um, helped show me that those gifts that I had could be used. And then the other one was a camp, hmm. um, was Spring Hill Camp up in Everett, Michigan. Um, huge. But I started really uh, developing a heart for student ministries and camp ministry. Hmm. And God showed me a lot you know, during those summers where like, I could do this. I, I could be, I could be a part of this for, for a long time. Mm. You know, humor is such a, it's a disarming thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, it, it brings joy, but I, I've noticed as, um, you know, I incorporate humor into my talks, there comes this fine line and I wish I could define when it is. I'm going to ask you to help me when it just becomes, all right, now I'm just, you know, Jojo the dancing clown up on stage rather than using humor. When does humor cease to be a tool and then becomes uh, more of a, I don't know, um, it overtakes the whole thing? Yeah. Yeah, I I think just, and I don't know if this will answer your question, but I remember um, one of the first times that, um, I started realizing that humor was being used for a, a purpose that it should not have been used for. It was Steve Andrews, who was the founding pastor of Kensington Church um, that I was a part of. And he called me one day and he said, hey, man, let's just meet. He was great. He was always gracious with me. And he said, uh, you spend the first 10 minutes of your message trying to get people to like you. Mm. <laughs> I was like, wow, this meeting's starting off really well. <laughs> And, uh, but he he was so right. And there was a part of me where my insecurities, where, um, there's two things where I wanted to get people to like me and it, it was actually leading people more towards me than to the gospel. Mm. And then the second thing for me was sarcasm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I really feel like, especially in the West, I think sarcasm is used quite often and we make an excuse for it. I always joke with people that it's one of my spiritual gifts. But I remember um, we had a counselor on site at Kensington Church and I had a meeting with him on a Tuesday and I walked in and he sat across the table from me and he said, uh, hey, I got to visit your campus. My wife and I started the fourth campus there at Kensington. And he said, I got to visit your campus this Sunday. You know, and I'm, I remember sitting there thinking like, oh, he's going to, he's just going to, like, he, he was moved. God just really worked. And he said, uh, you use sarcasm a lot. I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, you know what sarcasm means? And I said, so that means being sarcastic. He said, uh, no, sarcasm means to rip flesh, to tear flesh. I was like, oh. And he goes, yeah, just so you understand when you use sarcasm, is if anybody has grown up with an abusive person in their life or their family and sarcasm, whether it's mm. non-harmful or, or whatever, or disarming, whatever, he said, it still leaves them there in that moment. Hmm. And he goes, if you're going to use it, you really need to know how to use it. And I was like, 
I never had heard that. And so those were two things that were really important with for me when it came to humor hmm. and not bailing out moments, Rusty. It's like, I could, you know, those moments where you feel like the Holy Spirit is moving hmm. and you have something that crosses your brain and you're like, oh, that'd be really funny right here. And you say it and it kind of just pulls everyone out of that moment. That is a great point because people that like humor tend to find the fu- the humor in everything. And it's good. I mean, I see that sometimes I'll be telling a story from stage that I've, I've told it already a hundred times. It's no longer impactful for me, but I look out there and see that it's moving somebody and I want to go, Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's not going to help anybody. Right. Right. I think the other fine line is when something goes on in the service, you know, like when a cell phone goes off or a baby cries or, you know, uh, somebody drops something or whatever. I have to fight myself from calling those out all the time because I want to make a stupid comment like, if that's for me, take a message, yeah. you know, or whatever it is. But I, I, I think that the line is, if it's disruptive and everybody knows it, mm-hmm. you kind of got to address the elephant in the room, don't you think? Yeah, yeah I totally agree. <laughs> we had a guy one time on Sunday night service when we were still doing that. He, he, was, he was snoring loud okay and i i mean it, it got to everybody around him is beginning to laugh i can hear it just you know this snoring and so finally we're all laughing and then i just began clapping my hands randomly you know and waking people up and so it was one of those that you just had to you had to address oh my goodness. yeah i've had sleepers i haven't had snores oh and I, you know i felt for the guy but I mean, come on. It was a real good indicator of how well I was doing. <laughs> yeah, you were killing it. I was. <laughs> okay, so here you are uh, at this mega church. You're leading a campus. Everything's going well. You're learning how to manage your sarcasm. Um, things are fine. And yet, God puts it on your heart to plant a church. Um, how do you know that it's from God to go rather than it's from you to run. Wow. Can I, can I take you on just, can I talk a little process that out just with you a little bit? Um, that's a great question. The first thing that hits me when you ask that question, I knew it was time to go because I was not angry. Oh, that's good. Um, I didn't have a better way to do it. I wasn't in a, you know, I I've had a lot of, I've been in, Place, places myself. I've I've witnessed a lot with certain people who've left church to plant or, or to left to leave to church plant because they're angry at something in their current situation. Mm-hmm. I knew for me I was at peace. Um, now the grace had lifted in certain areas of where I was. Like you know this, I kind of had reached that place where I'm like, I, I had. It was almost kind of like my my wife Michael describes it in a way where it's like Jonah, where I just kept. I know I'm entrepreneurial. I just kept starting things for Kensington. Hmm. Um, we started an initiative called Hope Water Project. We started these men's retreats, family retreats, and it was all to to just subside this this um, church planting thing that just kept bubbling up. And I did not want to do it. I did not want to do it because I'd. I saw what it did to my parents. I saw how hard it was. Mm. I helped the church start right out 
right, right out of college. That was tough. Um, and so I was like, nope, I'm happy. This is where my family is, my friends, my community. We'd grown this campus, you know, to 14, 1500 people. It was, it was awesome. Right. So there's no way, but then it was just this, it kept coming back. It just kept coming back. Hmm. And I knew, I knew it was time when I had talked to enough of our leadership and our people um, that, man, God's doing something in you. You might need to explore planting a church. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to Michael and saying, I, I think God's calling us to plant a church. And she said, by us, I hope you have a friend in your pocket because I'm not going to help you. <laughs> so we just started praying. We just started praying. And um, one thing after another, God revealed some things in our relationship that needed to be fixed and worked on before there was going to be peace in both both of us to plant a church. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So how long the journey take from, I think we should pray about this to you're now on the ground in the Bay area. Yeah, we're, we're on the ground in the Bay area in 2000, January, 2017. I it was about midway through the year of 2015. Okay. So you took a little time. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I often hear the story from somebody. They're just bitter at their church, and they think God's calling them to plant a church across the street. Um, I tend to think that's, uh, <laughs> I think you're running, I think you're mad, and I think you're going to end up splitting a church, so it usually end up, doesn't end up going well. Yeah. Okay, you know, there's so many differences between a large mega church and a small startup, but there's some things you can learn. What'd you take with you from your time at a mega church that's helped you in your time of planting a church? Man, that's a great question. Um, well, first of all, I, I, I give so much credit to, um, I was there for 10 years at, at Kensington Church. And um, Steve Andrews, I give so much credit to Steve, who literally um, entrusted me, a person coming from the outside with a campus. So I, I learned right away, like, um, from him, his belief in me, his open handedness, um, was pretty incredible. So, I, I mean, I could go on for days probably of what I learned at Kensington, you know, um, and what I've brought with me, um, a heart for church planting was the biggest thing. Um, why church planting was so necessary, uh, global impact. Like that was another big thing that I really felt like, um, the more impact that we want to have in our city, in our world starts with the local church. Like that's where I really, you know, that philosophy was ingrained in me at, at Kensington church. Um, how important it is to um, release control, right. As far as with leaders, um, you know, that, that was, that was something that was really big. I think another thing, I don't know how this relates, um, but I just keep coming back to it is, and Steve really showed me this was run from the spotlight. Um, there's something about um, church planting. There's something about being in ministry where every you want to gravitate towards the spotlight. Um, church planting, you know, is not glamorous. You know, it's like how we think about the Navy SEALs, like everybody, everybody wants to be a Navy SEAL because what they see. But if you sit down with a Navy SEAL, they say it is not glamorous. You're cold and wet constantly. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I have learned through that process from going from Kensington to church planting, it is not glamorous. 
And if it's about the stage, if it's about any of those things, it's like you're doing it for the wrong reason. And I, I felt like I felt like I learned that being at a mega church, uh, which is really weird because people will ask sometimes like, hey, is your goal to to be back in a mega, mega church or to make Easttown a mega church? It's like, no, absolutely not. My goal is 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 not to get to a certain place, but just to be obedient. What is God having us to do and how can we do it? And I use this phrase all the time is like success uh, in the kingdom of, of God is obedience. It's not necessarily the outcome. And that's something that I, I've really learned you know, at Kensington. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. So if somebody's sitting out there and they're thinking, I need to plan a church, give us three pieces of wisdom to consider before they launch. Hey, let me interrupt this podcast for just a second. Every church leader knows that having trained and engaged volunteers is essential to successfully accomplishing your mission. But if you're like most leaders, you also know how tricky it can be to onboard and equip people for your team. What if there was a resource that made it easier? Let me recommend ServeHQ to you. ServeHQ is simple video training courses that help you equip volunteers and develop leaders. You can create your own training or use their video library. You can even automate next steps to onboard new people. Check it out at servehq.church. Now, back to our conversation. Give us three pieces of wisdom to consider before they launch. I wrote some of these things down just so I wouldn't forget, and I don't remember where I put them. Um, (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, I've thought of a few more while we're sitting here, but the three I put down was hold people loosely. Yeah. Uh, don't sacrifice your family on the altar of church planting. Um, be the keeper of the vision, but generous with leadership. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff when it comes to finances. (laughs) (laughs) Beg, borrow and steal. Egg bar, it's the NASCAR philosophy. It's like, I'll put any sticker on that car just to get around the track. That's right. That's right. Okay, so church planning can obviously be a very difficult thing and a very rewarding thing. We always have a saying in church, we laugh a lot because we cry a lot. Highs are really high, the lows are really low. Give us a few just highlights and a few lowlights from the past five years of church planning. Yeah, um, I... You know, one of the things we used to say to our launch team is um, being in the Bay Area, like we chose the Bay Area because of the most unchurched, de-churched. Now, I know every church planter says that even if they're in the Midwest. But anyways, it's the most unchurched, de-churched population in the U.S. And so we came in with the mentality that, hey, we might not be reaping a harvest in our generation. It could be. The next generation could be our children. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And so we talked about tilling the soil, clearing the land. What does that look like? What does that mean? And so I I think when we started experiencing some sort of growth, Michael and I moved out here with three of our four children. And that's all we knew. We only knew one other couple that was in the area. So once people start joining you, even if you have to con them in, to like, hey, we're just having a barbecue. And oh, by the way, we're planning a church, right? It's like you do anything. Once people started joining, like what we were doing, I, Michael and I would come back to the house and be like, how, how did this just happen? How do people, you celebrate the one, right? You celebrate the one all the time. So our first baptism was before, and I think I shared this with you in 
showed you the picture, but we baptized our first couple before our church launched in somebody else's pool, right? In a neighbor's pool. They didn't even know we were in there, right? But it was, <laughs> it was, it was those type of things where you're just like, oh my goodness, that's incredible. Baptisms are awesome. You know, those were the joyous occasions. I, I still say to this day, when you see somebody that really gets a genuine um, experience and encounter with the living God and starts seeing themselves as a part of the solution to a broken world, whether it's in their neighborhood or it's in their workplace, like that's, that's the highlight. And that's one of the things that we've seen quite a few times is where people start getting it. Because in the Bay Area, it's not just about having a great church. If it's true that less than 4% of people in the Bay Area consider themselves church people, we're going to have to figure out a different way to reach people, to reach the unchurched. Because the unchurched are not coming to church. So when you start seeing people live this out in their neighborhoods, those those are the highlights. Yeah. That's that's when you get really excited. Right. Um, Lowlights? Is, is that the next one? Is that yes. how long do we have for that? Yes. How long? <laughs> we have two days. <laughs> um, man, dude, it comes back to people, Rusty. It comes back to people. I love people. I love relationships. Um, I think the hardest things and you've probably experienced this is when you think you have your ride or die people mm. and they, and they leave, um, that's the hardest thing. Yeah. And then you try to remember you started this thing and said to everyone, hold people loosely. Mm. And then the people that you think, Oh, it doesn't matter because they're going to be with me either way. Like when they walk away, I think another low light is, when you see your children not have friends of faith yeah. Um, yeah. and be totally submerged in a culture that is indifferent mm. when it comes to anything spiritual, those two things are tough. And when you are staring at each other uh, with your your wife and your family, I'm like, why are people leaving a lot? You know, I think those are the low moments. And yeah, I think having people, and I'm not just saying this because I'm doing this podcast with you, but you've reached out to me in some of those really low moments. And to have some of those people around you that know and have experienced that is so important. Mm. And one other thing I'd say on this is it's personal. Mm -hmm. it, it's really personal. Like when people say, well, don't take it personal. It's just business in church and planting and leading. It's personal. Yeah. You can't, you can't get around it. And the, it, once you can accept that, it's like the alcoholic that just comes and says, you know what? I am an alcoholic. Yeah. That's the first step. Yep. It is personal. That's really good. Yeah. Oh, so true. And, you know, for you and I and other planters and other pastors, we think church and body of Christ and advancing the mission 24-7. And it helps to know we've got a few people walking alongside us. And when one of them decides, yeah, I'm out. It may not be personal in their minds because they think about it once a week. They think about it twice a month, perhaps. And when they bail, it it does hurt. It is a it's a special kind of pain, that's for sure. Yeah, no, that's good. So, to, tell me this: um, 
You know, I think that it's in our darkest and deepest valleys that we learn more about God than we do on the mountaintop. You know, the old cliche of nothing grows on top of the mountain, you know. So what have you learned about God that you didn't know before you planted a church? Um, <clears throat> that I, I would say what's fresh on my mind right now, what I'm trying to live into right now and just kind of... I feel like God is teaching me that, not even teaching me, but I'm watching this, I'm processing this with my family, um, this question, um, that um, it doesn't matter. Like God is teaching me so much through people that would say, I don't even know who God is. Like hmm. the Bay Area is a beautiful place. And I would say the majority of people that were around are atheists. They might not be self-proclaimed atheists, but they are children of God and they are created right in the image of God. And it's like, I think I grew up in a way, I'm not saying that anybody told me to do this, but I think we only think we can learn about God in scripture. We can only learn about God through other Christ followers, but man, those people that are the furthest from God, I've learned so much about mm -hmm. God and how beautiful he is and how much he loves people. I think he's really breaking my heart um, to be more empathetic. You know, what, what, what is, what does empathy look like? What does it look like to be empathetic like Jesus to all people? I think that's, I think that's huge for me because I, it's easy for me to get a calloused heart. It really is. And so he breaks that down by using other people. I think that's one of the things I'm really learning about him right now. Hmm. That's so true. Yeah, there is something about being out, especially on the West Coast. And for anybody out there listening, thinking about planting a church, let me just say, go West, young man or woman. We would love to have you out here. Uh, there's just something about the raw honesty of people that is so refreshing. Because in the Midwest, uh, everything is just swept under the carpet. You know, everything is fine. Everything is, yeah. you know, no problem. But out here, they're, they're very honest about what they've tried, what hasn't worked, very open to anything. Very honest. And they'll even give Jesus a chance. So that's a great, great opportunity. Well, I have loved watching you plant this church and lead this church, and you led it through, goodness, the roughest season that any of us ever experienced, which was the COVID season. And how many weekends were you guys online? How, how long were you unable to meet again because you were meeting in a school and school's all shut down and they haven't been real open to letting people back in. So how long was your stay out? Yeah, we hit our two year mark right when the pandemic started. I, I still remember thinking, oh, this is going to be about three weeks and we'll be back in. Um, so we were, we were, you know, March, we started March of 2020 and then Easter of 2021, we had our first drive up in-person Easter service or, or something mm. like that. Yeah. And then we didn't start meeting. We, we couldn't get back into the school. So we started, we rented a tent and met in a parking lot mm. starting in June, 2021. And then we didn't start meeting regularly till September, this past September, 2021. And we actually got back into a school. In fact, we, the school we wanted in the first place. So that's been cool. Okay, this is a, a question I did not share with you ahead of time, but I was just thinking about there's a lot of churches out there that, you know, some are actively planting churches and some are not, but they could all help a church planter. 
And having been a guy that moves to a, you know, a foreign land for you, you had to rely on the generosity of other churches, not just for finances, but also support or a cup of coffee or can we use your parking lot or your building for a launch meeting or something like that. What'd you learn about other churches, established churches? I mean, I'm sure you had some horrible experiences. I'm sure you had some good ones. What are ways established churches can help the new kid on the block? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say first is uh, any any church planter um, considering an area, I, I, the first thing that I did, I met with every pastor that I could meet with. Mm. I, I wanted to make sure that they knew we were here and that we were not here to take people. Um, and I don't know if that wisdom came from you or, or, or somebody, or I just made it up. I don't remember, but I wanted, I wanted pastors to know that we were here, um, because I've watched church planners come in and not network. I, I just think one of the greatest things we can do as church leaders and pastors is to network with each other and to be on the same. And we had a few churches to do that. We had a few churches to say, Hey, why don't you come and speak? Um, that was huge for us. Uh, mm -hmm. there's a few people in our church to this day, uh, who are, were a part of our launch team because we spoke at a different church and their pastor was super open-handed. Um, I think, you know, anytime a church can mention that a new church plant is coming to town, it's huge, right? It's like that, that to me tells so much more about your character and who you are. And it just frees your people to be like, oh, we're working together. We're not, we're not against that church, you know? So, and I, I, I'll tell you one of the things that is helping me right now, um, one of your guys is meeting with um, one of our team leaders for kids. Um, we're kind of back in a space where we're looking for, we had a full-time kids person. So curriculum was one of those big needs. We have curriculum, but we have to have somebody to rewrite it and do all that stuff. The simple offer of your person to say, hey, we rewrite some of that curriculum. Would that save you time? And we're like, yeah, that'd be like five hours a week. That we Little things like that go such a far ways. Hmm. Money is great. Financial, awesome. But man, people power, um, that type of stuff is so key for um, new churches. Hmm. That's so good. Yeah, I... I we all feel threatened at times, which is ridiculous because this is all part of God's greater kingdom. But if you think about it, if every church in the Bay Area ran 10,000 people, uh, you'd still have a lot more people to reach. So this whole jockeying over a few hundred people is, uh, is a little crazy. Um, okay, I want to talk about you have a unique relationship situation because uh, you are co-pastoring with your wife. Um, that, that takes a unique marriage to pull that off. Um, do you recommend that? Uh, what, what, what advice would you give a couple out there thinking, hey, we could do this together? Yeah, bunk beds. <laughs> um, I would definitely invest in bunk beds like your first. <laughs> um, Separate rooms. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, you're, are you familiar with the Enneagram? I am. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things you'll read, I think, what was the, what was the one book? They're like eights and ones, you know, really have a tough time together. Um, well, I'm an eight, um, and every once in a while, you know, I'm a chat, my word is challenge. And then there's Michael who is a one. She often calls me an eight hole. So, you know, that's, you know, that's become a common language thing in our house. But anyways, yeah, I, I think, 
you know, it, it's amazing if, if your, if your spouse is called to it, right. If you're, you know, Michael doesn't fill in the holes. Like she doesn't fill in like, Oh, we have a need there. We know she leads. Right. And so she's super, she's just as called to this as I am. I think that's a huge thing. Mm. I really do. I think I believe in that. Um, there's a lot of things we're doing that we don't necessarily want to do, or we're good at doing, um, that we're doing in this season, but we're always looking for ways to distribute that off to others. But counseling, we are in counseling, uh, individual counseling. Um, I, I go to a counselor, she goes to a counselor. Um, we are hardcore about our day off. Um, on Friday, uh, you know, we challenge each other, phones are done, you know, um, unless I get a text from Rusty. You know, I might, I might text him back, but, um, we we're not on social media. We're not doing any of those type of things on our day off. That was really important. And you know, this is one of the things that's come out lately. The hobby piece of it Mm -hmm. is really, really important. We have separate hobbies, which I love. Uh, but, uh, that that's been something really, really key for us to do. And just knowing how to shut the conversation off is so hard. Mm-hmm. It really is because we got to a point where we're like, all we talk about is ministry. All we talk about is, and it's negative and it's not positive. And it's just like, it's not helping our relationship. It just isn't. Yeah. So yeah. those are, those are things I think are really key. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And you actually hooked us up with an Enneagram coach uh, who was great. We used her for a few sessions just to learn about our own differences. And for those of you not aware of the Enneagram, no, it is not the pentagram. There's a big difference. It's nine points, not five. Uh, and it's actually uh, deeply uh, spiritual in its root. Uh, so anyway, um, I, I really appreciated that. That was great. Uh, Clint, you are doing an incredible job, you and your wife, Michael. And it's a, it's a journey for your entire family. And they, even though you find this to be difficult and having... You know, it almost sometimes feels like three uh, steps forward, four steps back, uh, certainly during COVID. Um, the the welcome party in heaven will make it all worthwhile one day. And I'm grateful because of your spirit of how you do this encourages me. Uh, but this will also encourage other planters as well, because it's not easy, but it is worth it in the long run. So hang in there, brother. And we're really grateful for you being a part of the show today. Yeah. Well, Rusty, I, I'm so, and I'm not just saying this, I, I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for you as a person, um, how you've invested in me and cared for my spiritual, emotional, and mental health. Um, you don't just talk about it. You actually do something about it. I'm also thankful for um, just your heart for church planters and leadership growth, I think is absolutely amazing. And um, man, if we had more people like that. It'd be incredible. And I said this before we started is your podcast. Like if you are thinking about church planting or you are a church planter, you can literally get something out of every one of your podcasts. Like I just think about Hmm. um, the one with Steve Carter Hmm. and how he's talking about developing his craft. And I, I mean, Steve, he's a good friend of mine. And that dude is like the stuff that he was sharing is gold, Mm -hmm. is gold. Uh, The one with Scott Harrison, like there's so many great things that you are, you're giving us. And um, I would just continue to 
encourage people to be listening to this and helping it out. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. Thanks for the shameless plug. And I'll send you your Starbucks <laughs> gift card when we're done. Yeah, I don't want Starbucks. Hey, brother. <laughs> Grateful for you, my friend. And uh, I will see you on a boat in Montana sometime soon, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Can't wait. Well, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Clint is fantastic. If you have friends in the Bay Area, you can direct them to Easttown Church. Next week, we'll be back with brand new content with an incredible uh, wife, mother, teacher, pastor, a woman by the name of Tiana Spencer. And she's going to be talking about personal shame she went through in her own life and how God brought her through that and took her to even new heights. So I can't wait for you to hear from her. As always, leave us a review, share the podcast, and make sure you keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.